Father, thank you again so much for your goodness, your mercy, your grace. We bless you this morning, and we praise you for who you are. Lord, I want to thank you for your care for us. Father, care that's so deep, you know how many hairs we have on our head this morning. That's how much you care for us. But Father, even beyond that, you care about our hearts. And Father, that's important to you. And Lord, I want to thank you for the message that you have this morning to speak to each one of us through Brother Ernest. So I pray a blessing on Ernest, that he could be a spokesman for what's on your heart, the message that you've given to him. He could speak it clearly, and we could hear it and understand it and apply. So, Father, I'm asking that nobody leaves here this morning unchanged, but that you would touch our hearts this morning as you already have through worship. So I pray a blessing on Ernest and each one of the listeners this morning as well. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, and just a heads up, in closing, after Ernest is done, uh, we're going to have a time of uh, prayer. Uh, if you, or an even prayer request, if you have something, we're going to do that in the end, specifically for Barb. Some of you know that, that Barb didn't make it to port. She's in port, but we're going to have a special prayer for her uh, this morning as well. But we'll do that later after the message. And so if you have something, uh, keep it in mind. You'll have the chance. Bless you, Ernest. Thank you. It's good to be here again today. Um, so much enjoyed the worship time, the Sunday school discussion. I don't know that it's been a long time since I've preached and had it mesh so well with the Sunday school. I think we could go home probably and have, have heard the message already in the Sunday school. So you're dismissed. No. no. <laughs> um, also, um, as you know, I usually speak with props and PowerPoint has become my right-hand man many times. But um, I felt this morning I just wanted to kind of share <coughs> more from my heart. I do have notes, but um, yeah, so much of what I want to share here this morning is, is just reflective of kind of my journey at this point in time in life. And I've titled this message, the Davidic soul, the soul of David, a man after God's own heart. Let me ask you a question, and I don't want you to overthink it, but just kind of what, what pops into your mind, what pops into your thoughts when I ask you this question? <clears throat> and... I'd like you to just kind of blurt it out, okay? How do you feel these days about our current state of affairs? What popped into your mind? Trouble, apprehensive? Not good? Unsettled? Alarming. Hopeful. Hey. Okay. 
Where are the leaders? Where are the men? <laughs> Women are leaders too, but I, I had to think of a message Denny Kennison preached many years ago. Where are the men? <clears throat> you know, and that was a pretty wide open question. Um, <clears throat> if we would narrow it down a little bit, so what do you mean by the state of affairs? You talking about the world? Talking about America? The American church? Our church? Christians? Are we talking about us? Like right here in this room? Are we talking about me? Or if it's you, it's you. State of affairs. <coughs> I'd like to begin. <coughs> I really feel like I need to share everything that I've prepared here. So hopefully the lunch doesn't burn. Um, but I get I, so often I feel like I have to kind of cut and, and uh, let out things to get through my time frame. And I'm not even sure what the time frame is here. I think it's a half an hour. Is that right? Okay. And if I go over that, I, you never ask me to preach again, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which would be fine. <clears throat> as long as I can get through this message. <laughs> then I'm done. Yeah. No. <clears throat> um, I'd like to begin with a couple stories. And w one of the stories I think I shared the last time I preached it had to do with my ordination back in 1990. I tell you about the guy that threw me down on the ice and beat me up. Did I tell that story here? <laughs> oh, okay. So maybe I need to tell that story too. <coughs> I was ordained in 1990 and fairly young. Um, I don't know. What was I? How old was I in 1990? I was born in 61. You do the math. Um, and it was, it was in a setting where we would normally have used the lot. And do you know what the lot is? Okay. Um, but they didn't use it that time because it was what the bishop said, our home bishop, Eli Yudsi, some of you may know him, have known him. He's not living anymore that it was a nearly unanimous voice and so they didn't use the lot and then he did something that he probably shouldn't have done he told me <coughs> that <coughs> he told me that it was nearly unanimous the only one that didn't vote for me was a, a, a brother <laughs> that voted for himself <laughs> and And I think his wife voted for him, too. So um, <coughs> anyways, so I'm a young pastor at that point. And fortunately, we had John Koblenz was the, the lead pastor at that time. So we had a really good pastor. And I, I, I just kind of needed to. Yeah. Anyways, I, I remember. So so this this man and his wife would always sit right over here, kind of where BJ is. <coughs> and and when I would speak, I, there was just this coldness. I could feel it coming, you know, just this hardness, no expression, no nothing. And 
And so I, I, I kind of naturally started preaching to this side of the church. Kind of like uh, Steve this morning, he had his back turned toward us. I thought maybe he didn't like us. but <laughs> <coughs> And one, an older brother used to sit over here, and he said to me one time, Ernest, why do you just preach to the left side of the church? I said, well, because I'm a liberal. No. <laughs> um, but it, it woke me up to the fact that I was avoiding this. I was avoiding what, what I was sensing over there. And uh, <clears throat> anyhow, later, so I'm kind of struggling through some of these things as a young pastor. And, and then as we tended to do in the north, International Falls, some, we played hockey quite a bit. Not, not formal hockey. None of us really had a team. But a lot of informal hockey. And one time we were playing... And I think I must have checked him accidentally. I didn't intentionally. I know I didn't intentionally, but I must have. All, all I know is that suddenly I was thrown to the ice. <laughs> and, and this guy was on top of me, pummeling me. And I, whoa, what happened? You know, and I just kind of got up. And I never have completed that conversation with him to ask him <laughs> what happened. I just kind of dusted myself off and, and often wondered, did that really happen? And I don't know if you've ever been through an experience or something so weird happened. And, and anyways, so that's the one story. <coughs> then I'll, I'll, I'm going to tell a positive story and then another kind of very recent, just a week ago. Um, kind of a negative story. The positive story is that um, about a year after Rachel's death, I was at a, as a, at a come away with me retreat in close to Ohio, Akron, Ohio, <coughs> Danville area. And it was not a Mennonite event. My counselor, it was about a year after Rachel's death, my counselor was a, a Catholic deacon, and I always met with him at 1.30 in the afternoon. And I did a lot of hiking at the time, so I was out on a hike enjoying the, the uh, beauty of the fall. It was like in November in Ohio, and beautiful colored leaves. <coughs> and I came across this beautiful valley. I was just on a kind of a wooded trail with yellow leaves carpeting the, the graveled road. and it, it was just a gorgeous day. And I came across this beautiful valley, green, and there was a dairy farm located right in the center of it with a red barn, of course, and a gray house and Holstein cows sprinkled through the pasture and just gorgeous. It was heart-stoppingly beautiful, just stunning. <coughs> and I'm just kind of drinking it in. And... I sensed the Lord saying to me, and, and since I'm not charismatic enough, I didn't actually hear a voice, but I sensed in my spirit the Lord say to me, <coughs> this is your future. You have a beautiful future. And at the time, nothing looked very beautiful.
now I know I have a beautiful future. But at the time, nothing looked very beautiful. And, and, then, and then the next thing I heard was, your life is only half lived. And I was 50, I was 51 when Rachel was killed, I was 52 at this time. Your life is only half lived. And I chuckled. I said, and I said audibly, I am charismatic enough to speak audibly <laughs> to the Lord. Um, I said, Lord, you know I'm 52. Does that mean I'm going to live to be 104? And he never answered, <laughs> at least not audibly right then. But later I pulled out my phone. Oh, so then I'm, oh, it's getting time for my appointment. It's at 1.30. And I thought, I need to know what time it is. And I pulled out my phone. And you know how it, when it wakes up, it has the digital time on there. And it said, 1.04. <laughs> so I think I'm going to be around for a while. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I could die tomorrow. But, um, you know, and I'm not building theology or anything on that. But I just... That was actually a bit of a comfort to Yvonne when I told her that story because her brother, when she was getting counsel about whether she should date an old guy like me, he said, well, you better be prepared to be a widow again. <laughs> but I had already told her this story, so <laughs> I think I had, right? Or Yeah, anyways, it was comforting to her. The third story is just a week ago, I already confessed to one of you, <laughs> Daniel, I, I told, I did not go to church last Sunday. Instead, I was driving my RV back from Guy's Mills. We were up there sorting through some of Yvonne's things, and we were going to bring the RV back, and so I th it, it dawned on me we're going to be in two different vehicles. I said, if... Her mom is her best friend. I said, if you want to spend a couple extra days with your mom, just, you know, take, take your time, you know, whatever, sort through your stuff, and, and I'll take the RV back. Well, then I, when I got the RV out, I realized the signal lights were not working, and so I thought, and I tried to find people to help me fix them, and I don't know straight up about, you could write a book on what I don't know about mechanics. Um, And so I thought, well, I better, you know, you know, it's five and a half hour drive. If I wait until after church and, you know, everything, it could be getting dark by the time we're down here. So I just told Yvonne, I said, I'm going to, when you go to church, I'm going to head out with the RV. And so <coughs> I was coming across on the 80. So I'm being very careful because I, my signals are not working. So I'm watching my mirrors and so forth, and I'm coming up on a semi, and you know what it's like to, be on the 80, semis all over, and I'm coming up on the semi, and and I'm just about ready to think I need to signal to go around him, and suddenly he went into the left lane. And here there was somebody on the shoulder that I didn't see, and semis are very good at that. They, they give lots, because they have a lot of wind and stuff, so they give lots of room to somebody that's on the shoulder. I mean, he, he, he could have kept in his lane, and it would have been fine, probably cause some wind for them. But So he suddenly came over, and so suddenly 
I, I needed, I realized I needed to get, get over. I kind of braked and, and, and got over. And I thought everything was fine because I, I also have a, a, a screen that I can see what's exactly behind me. And I didn't think anything of it. But eventually I, I got around, or we got around this thing. I got around the semi and I'm pulling over and there's another semi ahead of me. And suddenly this car goes past me and he just kind of dodges in front of me and brakes and holds his finger out at me. And I thought, oh man, I must have, yeah, I did something back there that he was surprised by. And yeah, and then he quickly got out and um, went on his way since, I try I, I'm assuming he was feeling better. <laughs> But, you know, it, it went through me. <coughs> you know, I don't know, I don't know what all was going on in that man's life that would cause him, well, one of the thoughts <laughs> that came through my, was he, he probably wasn't a believer. He probably wasn't a Christian. And then it dawned on me, you know, he probably was a Christian. Most people in America are Christians, right? So, and then I got to thinking, you know, you know, back to your Steve's point this morning with the you know returning good for evil and 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 that kind of thing. Um, but he he certainly didn't know. So I, I'm sure in his mind I am this idiot of a driver, and you know what in the world? And he didn't even signal. And you know he doesn't know my story. Doesn't know my signal lights don't work. And he doesn't know what happened. You know. And so there's a lot to lot to what goes on in our stories that not everybody knows and not everybody needs to know really but but here we have this man called David a man after God's own heart <coughs> um, in the scriptures it says and when he that's God had removed him that's King Saul. He raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave their testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised up Israel, a savior, Jesus. That's a part of Peter's sermon there in Acts. The Davidic soul. The soul of David. A man after God's own heart. So you know the story. There was Saul, King Saul. Then there was David, King David. And then David eventually had a son who was never king, but he wanted to be king, Absalom. And how many have read the book, A Tale of Three Kings? Okay, a few have read that. Some of us older ones, I think, have, have, read, that, have read that book. Steve's not real old, I guess. The book is still in print, <coughs> and uh, it's a good read. It's an allegorical 
writing. And it's very fascinating. And, and basically what it, I, I was going to read some from off of my Kindle to you, but I, I'll just kind of tell you. <coughs> basically it's the story of those three kings, a tale of three kings, and how you have the old king Saul, uh, who was old at the time, and he was, and there was this young man, David, who was playing instruments for him and, and, and really was a servant to Saul in many ways. And then he, he switches to the story of, of King David. David becomes king. And then the next part of the story is Absalom trying to, who, who kind of kisses up to the people and kind of woos hearts away from by then, David was the old man, king. And um, so that's the story. And, and frequently throughout, through that story, the writer, Gene Edwards, asked the question, so who, or he'll, he'll pose a question like, so who is, who is the bad guy? Or who is the, who is, who's right here and who's wrong? And then he always ends that question. He answers that question with this concept. He said, he says, only God knows. And do you remember the rest of it? Those of you that read? He'll say, only God knows, and he's not telling. So as we go through life and we experience these things, and you know, whether it's the guy giving me the finger or the guy beating me up on the ice or or or, or God taking my wife and wh what, whatever the situation is <clears throat> God knows the whole story he knows everything but he's not telling and we want to know we just want to know who is the bad guy who's the culprit here who's the good guy am I the bad guy am I some am, am I this young whippersnapper that's a, am I an Absalom uh, or am I a Saul or uh, <clears throat> Only God knows, and he's not telling. And the challenge from that book is, is we're all called to be Davids. So whether we have people over us that are hurting us, or people under us that are hurting us, or people around us that are hurting us, we need to have the heart of David, the Davidic soul. In Hosea chapter 8, verse 4, <coughs> it says, They have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. Now let me shift a little bit and talk a little bit about the ragamuffin gospel. I told Dale a while back, sometime I'd like to share the, uh, this message, the ragamuffin gospel, but I'm just going to share it in a nutshell here. <coughs> The ragamuffin gospel. Um, uh, Brennan Manning wrote a book called the, the Ragamuffin Gospel. Brennan Manning was a, again, a Catholic who came to know the Lord in a deeply, deeply meaningful way, profound. Um, grew up in a broken home, troubled experience, family life. Uh, came to know the Lord, beautiful way, became a priest, and eventually became uh, 
disillusioned with the Catholic tradition, uh, left the priesthood, got married, was married for 21 years, ended up getting divorced primarily because of his alcoholism. He could never kick alcohol. He would get up and he would, uh, his, his, um, his, uh, the story of his life is called All is Grace. And he could, he could speak on the grace of God in beautiful ways, riveting. He'd hold captive thousands of people speaking at the same time, uh, speaking. And, and sometimes he'd end up going back to his motel and getting drunk. And so there was this lifelong struggle with alcohol. <coughs> and some of you maybe have already condemned him to hell. I don't know. Um, he eventually died. And uh, he wrote this book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. So le le before I read some of, let me just ask you. So are you saved by not getting drunk? Is that what saves you? So... There's quite a few of you here that I think have never gotten drunk, right? So that's what saves you, right? You're in. <coughs> okay. God takes ragamuffins, those dressed in disheveled, dirty, raggedy clothes, beggars, vagabonds. God takes these kind of people and uses them for his glory. And, and in my mind, if I was going to share this as a message, I would look at three different kinds of ragamuffin people, or ragamuffin people in general, ragamuffin marriages. Is your marriage a ragamuffin marriage? It's probably perfect, isn't it? And ragamuffin families. Ragamuffins have a single prayer. And that is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Manning goes on to say, any additional flourishes to make that cry more palatable is Pharisaical leaven. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Are you a sinner? Paul, in 1 Timothy, says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Paul is saying everybody should accept this saying. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And, and you can say, well, you know, but he's referring to before he became a believer. No, this is present tense. This is present tense. Paul said, of whom I, present tense, am chief. And I'll probably say this again, but unless, 
as long as we see ourselves as some kind of perfection, you can just kiss evangelism goodbye. We're not going to woo sinners if we are perfect. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't embrace the last text in the scripture in the text, the last verse in the text this morning, be ye therefore perfect, even as, of course we embrace that challenge to walk with God and to be as all that he, but is that what gets us to heaven? Is our perfection? Is it our perfection that gets us to heaven? So, any additional flourishes to make that cry more palatable are pharisaical leaven. The song says, the hymn says, prone to wander. You bet. We are all prone to wander, some in more obvious ways than others. In all his grace, Manning says, but God loves you unconditionally as you are and not as you should be because none of us are as we should be. Jack Frost, in his book, Experiencing the Father's Embrace, how many of you have read that? If you, have, if, if you struggle, especially in your relationship with God as your father, please read this book. Um, I'm sorry, that's not what I meant to say. If you're struggling with your earthly father, if you're struggling in your relationship with your earthly father. By the way, I told Dale, I'm, I'm halfway through a 40-day fast, and normally I'm pretty sharp at this point in time, but I feel really weak, and sometimes I end up saying things that, that aren't quite right. So if you're struggling in, in, in relation to your earthly father, <coughs> read this book. He talks about the different father wounds that you can have, and uh, so somewhere in this book, I forget which chapter. Oh, by the way, the last father wound he addresses is the good father, the good father wound. And it, there can be a, a wounding that comes even from good fathers, or, or, or you could say perfect fathers even, and that is that we become so attached to this earthly father, and is he gonna live forever? Huh. Eventually, he's going to be gone, and you are going to be a wounded person because he never got your heart to the father heart of God. So that's, that's the last wounding that he talks about, the, the perfect father. I think he calls it the good father. In that book, he says, bad people <coughs> wanted to hang out with Jesus. So I talked about if, if, if you can't embrace the fact that you are a sinner, present day. I, I realize we've overcome a lot of things. We're, we want to be perfect. But if you can't see yourself as a sinner of whom I, present tense, am chief, you can kiss evangelism goodbye. Because it's bad people that loved to hang out with Jesus. It was the good people that wanted to kill him. Now let me talk about Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul says, I know both how to abound and to suffer need. Whatever state I'm in, to be content. You quoted that this morning, didn't you? See? 
I just love it when God blends services together like that. <clears throat> in another version, he says, I'm glad in God, far happier than you would ever guess. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. And then he goes on in following verses. This is Philippians 4, 11 to 13. In the King James, he goes on to say, Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Here in America, as, as was alluded to in the Sunday School lesson, we are taught, we are instructed to abound. Paul says he is instructed by the Lord both to abound and to suffer need. Sometimes when we're talking about people that maybe we're relating to in the community or people that we want to help and we say, well, you know, he's kind of a, he's kind of a needy person. Oh, yeah? You're not needy? We are all very needy people. <clears throat> I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Hebrews 10. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. Then he says this, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In another translation it says, Nobody's getting by with anything. But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of affliction. Partly whilst you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions unto them that were so used. For ye had compassion, Paul says, even of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. So take joyful, do you take joyfully the spoiling of your goods? Or do we want to hang on to those things? Knowing that in heaven we have an, an enduring, better substance. And, and we, we, maybe we're not just talking about material things and money. Maybe we're talking about wealth or, or, or uh, reputation or, or friends. Um, sometimes people spoil our goods, our friends, our friendships, our reputation. Vengeance is mine. I won't overlook a thing and will judge his people. Nobody's getting by with anything. Remember those early days after you first saw the light. Those were hard times. You were kicked around in public, targets of every kind of abuse. Some days it was you. Other days it was your friends. If some friends went to prison, you stuck by them. If enemies broke in and seized your goods, you let them go with a smile, knowing they couldn't touch your real inheritance. Nothing they did bothered you. Nothing set you back. So don't throw it away now, Paul says. Let me conclude here quickly by going over <clears throat> four points, and I think I shared in a testimony here the other week. This comes from these four points. Uh, brother passed away in the Life Church a few, year, uh, a few weeks ago, and they had a funeral. His sons got up and talked about their father, and he lived by these four principles. Radical forgiveness, 
radical humility, radical generosity, and radical obedience. And I'd like to talk about those just a little bit. Someone has said, and we could say here this morning, everyone here has, everyone in this room has recently been through a crisis, is going through a crisis, or soon will go through a crisis, okay? Life is a crisis experience with occasional vacations along the way. Life is also a journey. It's a journey of forgivenesses. Marriage is a journey of forgivenesses. Church life is a journey of forgivenesses. Forgiveness means being willing to pay. Someone has got to pay for these things that come up. We bump into each other in, in uncomfortable ways. Someone has got to pay if peace is to come. Sometimes it may be only peace in your heart because just like it takes two to fight, it also takes two to experience reconciliation. But even if others want to hold grudges, peace can come to your own heart if you're willing to pay. Someone has to pay. Someone has to be blamed. Someone, someone simply has to accept the cost. May not be fair, but peace will come with forgiveness even if it has to be paid 70 times 7. And I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, this, to say, well, how often do I have to forgive my brother? And he just said, 70 times 7. In other words, every time it comes back to your mind, you choose to pay again. So radical forgiveness. If you want to be a godly man and pass away at 92 years old and have your sons talk about your radical forgiveness, you have to choose to pay. Radical humility. Obviously, forgiveness is not possible without humility. And again, humility is not thinking mean of yourself. It's just simply not thinking about yourself. Pride is self-focus. I think, uh, again, in the Sunday school, I heard reference to self-focus. That's what pride is. That, uh, John Regeer's definition of pride is, is self-focus. There are two kinds of pride, inner pride and outer pride. And you know, especially if, if I'm very inferior, you know, obviously the p people that think they're superior and better than everybody else, and we can readily identify them as proud, right? But if I'm inferior and I'm just saying, oh, you know, poor me, you know, everybody's looking at me and everybody's talking about me, and, and uh, that's kind of an inner, the pride of inferiority. It's just humility is just not thinking of yourself in relation to anything or anybody. It's just focused on God and, and others. <clears throat> One of the key ways, oh, let me say this. God will resist pride. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he, he will resist either kind of pride or any kind of pride. So do you want God going like this to you or do you want God going like this to you? If, if you're proud, whether it's inner pride or Overt pride, God's going to do that to you. But if you want him going like this to you, just humble. Humble yourself. One of the keys to humility, one of the ways to become humble is to make a practice of apologizing. Obviously, as we already said, we, we want to be perfect, and yet none of us ever will be perfect. 
We'd, we'd like to get past the need to be apologizing, but we never will. We'll always be making mistakes. So if we just live in that attitude of being willing to apologize, find something. If, if there's a problem in the relationship, find something that you can own and you can truly, genuinely own and apologize for that neediness, that imperfection. Radical generosity. Everything I have is yours if you need it, except my wife. It's the philosophy of the Good Samaritan, remember? So in the story of the Good Samaritan, you have the thieves. They had this attitude, what's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. That was the attitude of the thieves. The priest and the Levite, they passed by on the other side. And they said, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. But the good Samaritan came along, and he said, what's mine is yours if you need it. Radical generosity, living out of that bigness of heart, that hugeness of just, it all belongs to God. I'm just a steward. I'm just a manager. Now let's talk about radical obedience and then we'll be done. <clears throat> of course, radical obedience is what it takes to make it all possible. Simply doing the right thing. Forget the politics. You think politics stinks in government. It really stinks in church. Just forget the politics. Live with this attitude. Nothing to hide. Nothing to lose and nothing to prove. Just live. Live for God. Do what's right. Don't worry. Not, you have nothing to hide. You have nothing to lose. And nothing to prove. Stop kissing up. Stop kissing up to people. And certainly stop punching down at people. If you're truly going to care for people and lead people and nurture them and influence them, you can't be punching them. Sometimes I think it's okay to punch up. You can tell me that. You, you can tell me if I'm wrong. In other words, maybe not punch up. But when it comes to pushing back, I think sometimes it's okay to push back. If you have a good relationship with your father, with your parents, you can push back. You can say, wait, what, what's that mean? You know, how, how you, know, you, you can push back, and a good father, good parents will appreciate that, and they will learn from it. But never push down, never punch down. And, and, and for crying out loud, stop kissing up. I mean, it, that, that should have nothing to do with Christian living. Rather, choose love, choose love. Love God, first of all, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm going to read here. For I command you this day from, from Deuteronomy chapter 30. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commandments by walking in his ways. This is the message, by the way. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commandments by walking in his ways. 
If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key of life. This is the key to life. Sorry, that was the uh, New Living Translation. The Davidic soul. That is the heart, that's the soul that I want to have. And I hope that you do as well. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are. We, we are just scratching the surface, all of us, even though some of us have walked with you for many years. We still feel like we're just learning to know who you are. And then, Lord, we thank you also for David, a man you said was after your own heart who will fulfill your will. Thank you for him. And yet, God, we know David was so imperfect. God, he committed gross adultery. And he murdered another man to do it. God, give us this kind of soul that can survive that kind of experience. And that when the prophet says, you are the man, we just say, oh. And we can repent. Thank you for Paul, the apostle Paul who is willing to embrace his own neediness, his own sinfulness, of whom you, Lord, sent your Son into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Father, we, we receive so much instruction from these men men of God. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.